As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible and open it up with me to Acts chapter 2. So let's say you are sitting at lunch with somebody and you begin talking about church and they ask you, well, what is your church all about? Well, a lot of times whenever that question would be asked of us, we might hem and haw and say, well, we have services on Sunday and we have pumpkins and we have various activities, but I hope that you might be able to take out a piece of paper and explain to them the engine of your church. So let's say this is our church here in the middle, and we have talked about in this series above the line, the line. Now, the line represents the division between those things that are physical and those things that are spiritual. It represents the division between those things that are temporary and those things that are eternal. And one of the things that we as Christians do is we don't just live below the line. We don't just live in the here and now, but we also live in the spiritual realm. We live with eternity in mind. And so as a church, we exist to lead people to worship, grow in, and serve God through lives that are being changed by the power of the gospel. And so as you begin to think about what your church is all about, we desire to lead people who are worshiping God. Now, the initial act of worship is when someone comes to a point of salvation and you bow the knee before the cross and you embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But Christianity doesn't stop at the moment you become a Christian. Worship also involves prayer as you align your will with the Father's will. Worship involves what we're doing right now as we gather together as a church and we have what's called corporate worship. And worship ultimately involves you aligning your life so that everything in your life exists for the glory of God. You've heard me talk about living with the singleness of purpose. So cutting through every area of your life, you have one simple goal, and that is to bring glory to God. We also desire as a church to help people go above the line in their perspective. And so we go to the Word of God, and in the Word of God we find truth that gives us God's perspective, these transcendent truths that God has instilled within His creation, and we begin to see the world through the lens of Scripture. As we grow in truth, we also grow in relationships so that we are connected to a community here in the church. And you have strong friendships within your church as you are growing up, you are growing together. And what God is doing within our hearts, in our spiritual lives, begins to overflow into every other area of our life, and we begin to discover that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made for God's divine mission in our lives. So how can I serve God and serve others? How can my life connect to what God is doing here on earth? And all this leads us to the contagious life a life that draws other people to the cross of Jesus Christ, a life where the living water of Jesus Christ is flowing through us in such a way that there is joy, there is faith, there is hope, there is love. And when people see us living out our Christianity, 
It draws them to the cross of Calvary because we are disciples who are fully devoted in our fellowship of Jesus Christ. Now today, we are going to see in Acts chapter 2 a church. And we're going to see a church who was living and loving like Christ. They were fully functioning as disciples. So look with me in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. The Bible says, So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. I mean, glory broke out. They had a revival, and 3,000 people got saved. We'll look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as anyone had a need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Now this is what it looks like when a church is living out their faith. This is what the Christian life is supposed to look like on the pages of reality. But now, within the story, you have a group of people. And you have a group of people that have been through a lot. If you will flash back about two months earlier, the scene is the Golden Gate of Jerusalem. And there is a dusty road that leads to the Golden Gate. And there you see on the hillside, Jesus of Nazareth riding into the city on a donkey. And you see the people who were anticipating Jesus as a political king welcoming him into the city. They are laying their garments before him. They are laying down the leaves of royalty. They are calling out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and welcoming him into the holy city of Jerusalem because they are anticipating Jesus leading a political revival where he overthrows Rome, and it becomes pretty clear during the week that Jesus' mission was not a political mission, but that the mission of Jesus was a spiritual mission. And so just a few days later, at the steps of Fort Antonia, Pontius Pilate is desiring to release Jesus, and so he brings out a well-known criminal named Barabbas, and he has him stand with Jesus, and he asks the people which one they would like released, and the people call for Barabbas, and then he says, well, what should I do with Jesus, your king, the one that just a few days earlier you welcomed into the city, and the people call out, crucify him, crucify him. Now, during the moments of execution. Some very unusual things happened. And these people in Jerusalem lived through these moments. They saw the sky turn to night in the middle of the day. They 
experienced the earthquake upon the death of Christ that rent the temple veil in two. They experienced the tombs opening and the dead walking amongst them. Yeah, read Matthew 27, 51 through 53 sometime. It's kind of like a, a zombie scene taking place there in Jerusalem. But not only do they experience all that, but they experience the risen Lord. Jesus himself, the one that they saw publicly crucified, comes back to life. And so all this leads to a sermon. Jesus has ascended, and Peter, the one who rejected Jesus, the one who betrayed Jesus during his trial, Peter himself stands up and proclaims the gospel message and its power to transform the heart And the Holy Spirit grabs that message and grabs the heart of these people that had been through all this. And 3,000 people believe in Christ as Savior and Lord. And they are baptized, forming into a church. They are baptized, and as they are baptized, they identify with the cross. They identify with the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus in a public way. It's a public act of worship. But what happened there didn't stop upon their baptism. They continued to grow. They continued to mature. And the passage says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, what's something in your life where you want to get better? What's an area in your life where you're working to get better at it? Growth always requires devotion. doesn't matter what it is. If you're wanting financial growth, if you're wanting physical growth, it's always going to require devotion. Some of you all like to smoke barbecue. And because you're a Texan, you like to smoke the Texas meat. You know what the Texas meat is, don't you? Brisket, right. In Texas, we smoke brisket. And if you're going to make a good brisket, you've got to be devoted to it. You've got to buy a good piece of meat. You've got to season it. Normally, they keep it overnight. and You've got to let it get down to the right temperature. And you've got to work the grill or the, the smoker. And you've you got to put it on there. And it normally takes about 12 hours at least to cook a good brisket because you've got to go low and slow. Now, I know some of you can hurry it up with the Texas crutch. But eventually, it, it just takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of devotion. And at the end of that, you have a delicious piece of meat, but to get to that point, it required devotion. Spiritual growth doesn't just happen. You don't grow spiritually just because you show up once a week and check in. You don't grow spiritually just because you have friends that are Christians, because you love one another, because you laugh a little bit, because you have a few things in common. Spiritual growth requires devotion. So what was this church devoted to? Well, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were studying together the truth of the Word of God. They were desiring to know what God had 
revealed to them. The Bible also says they were devoted to fellowship. They prioritized the community. They prioritized church. They were devoted to the fellowship. Now, this is important because there's a lot of thing in this, things in this world to which you can be devoted. They were devoted to the gathering together. They weren't devoted to sports on Sunday. They weren't devoted to the priority of homework or the priority of trips to the lake. They were devoted to the priority of the fellowship. They broke bread together. They remembered why they were there, that they were there because of Jesus. And so they took the Lord's Supper together and they broke bread together and they remembered that they came from different backgrounds, but they were united by the message of Christ. And they were devoted to prayer. They spent time talking to God, praying, and bending their will to His. And it was at this point that God began to do some extraordinary things within their midst. The Bible says, Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common, and they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. Understand this, when God's people are devoted to God, they experience the awe of God. When God's people are devoted to Him, God's people begin to see God do some things that only God can do. When we survey the wondrous cross, when we understand who He is, when we are devoted to Him, then we begin to see life through the spiritual realm and we begin to see God do some things that cause us to stand in awe of Him. They were not working their plan and inviting God to join them. They were seeking God and God was revealing His plans. Did you catch that? They weren't forming their calendar and then saying, well, God, I hope that you'll jump onto this calendar. They were seeking God. And God was forming their calendar. God was showing them where they were to work. God was showing them His power. And God was growing them and maturing them and connecting them and leading them. And this led the church to an overwhelming sense of togetherness. They had unity. They weren't fighting. They weren't nitpicking. They weren't pulling everything apart. Instead, they were coming together. So much so that they sold their possessions and distributed to those in need. Now, they were also in crisis. Because as new believers, they were now on the fringes of society. And they needed one another. They had to take care of each other. 
this past Monday and Tuesday. I went to Rockport. And I, I want to say the situation in southeast Texas, it's bad. It's real bad. It's a, it's a massive amount of destruction. It's also got a lot of good. There's a lot of good coming out of the adversity. And while we were there in Rockport, we visited Coastal Oaks Church. And there, Pastor Kevin began to show us around as to what they're doing there at that church. And so we walked into their foyer. The church appears to be about the same size as ours. And we walked into their foyer, and their foyer was absolutely full of water and shovels and supplies. He took us around the church, and he said, over here, these are some mattresses that a group brought in, and over here, these are tools and shovels that a group brought in so that people can use to help uh, rebuild their homes, and over here, there's water, and over here, there's clothing, and over here, there's bleach and cleaning supplies because this is what people are needing here, and and then he took us into the gym, and the gym had been turned into a community distribution area, and there were people coming uh, from around the community to the church, and there were these raw signs that were just put up in different places around the church saying, take what you can. And literally, the church was just trying to help the community. They were pooling their goods together. They were coming together to try to help in the midst of a disaster. And the pastor said, uh, this, this is very challenging. He has about 50 families from his church that have said they're just moving away and they're probably not going to come back. And he doesn't know exactly what the future looks like, but he knows what he has today. He has a church coming together to minister. He said, suddenly the entire city's outside. Everyone's helping one another, loving their neighbors. It says, whenever we gather for worship now, after worship, everybody stays around. There's nowhere to go. No restaurants are open. No, n- nothing pressing. Life has become slower. And my thought as I stood and talked to him for, for a moment was, this is church. In the midst of adversity, opportunity grows. This is church. In the midst of difficulty, the body comes together and they do whatever they can to help one another and help others. I, I hear people sometimes say, well, Lash, what would happen if, if this disaster occurred in our community or if, if our country fell into uh, great poverty? What would happen? I'll tell you one of the things that happened is we will be the church. We will come together. We will take care of one another because we are in this together. We are not just a group of people that gather in a room once a week and then go home to live our lives. We are a church family. And the Bible says that every day they devoted themselves, verse 46, to meeting together in the temple complex and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. In verse 46, there's that word devoted again. Now, we saw it the first time in verse 42. In verse 42, they were devoted to going above the line, and spiritually they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, and they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to these spiritual disciplines 
in verse 42. In verse 46, we see they are going below the line into the real world where everybody lives, and they were devoted to going out into the community. They were meeting in the temple complex. The temple complex was where the Jewish community met. They were meeting in the place where the community met, and they were sharing their faith there in the temple complex. They were communicating the gospel. The Bible says that they went from house to house. They met with people. They connected with people. They loved their neighbors. They knew their neighbors. They ate with their neighbors. And then notice their attitude. They didn't have this attitude where we're the church. And that's the people out there. They didn't have, when they posed for pictures, this wasn't their pose. I have truth. And I will play whack-a-mole with the truth. And anybody that opposes me, I will slam them upon the head. They had a joyful and humble attitude. They weren't prideful. They praised God. They were Christians that you actually wanted to be around. And the Bible says they had favor with all the people. The community saw their authenticity. The community saw their genuineness. And the gospel began drawing people to the cross. Because it says every day, this is how the passage ends, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. You see, the story begins and ends with grace. At the beginning of the passage, 3,000 people hear the message and they're saved. They live out the message and at the end of the passage, every day, more people are getting saved. The Christian story begins and ends with grace. Remember back in the 1980s when we used to have the Olin Mills church picture directories? Y'all remember those? And you'd always have your family and everybody would be perfectly dressed and you'd stand there and, and there was always a wagon wheel in the back of the picture. What, what was up with, the, with the, the wagon wheel? And so you'd have the perfectly posed church family and then you'd have the big wagon wheel behind them. And, and I've learned over the years that behind each of those families in a church directory is a story. You see, reality is none of us live up to our pictures. We don't live up to the wagon wheel picture, nor do we live up to the Facebook picture. Because behind the picture, life is messy. We're in need of grace. And as we begin to look back at yesteryear, and we look back at our family, we begin to discover that 
it doesn't really look like the picture. But in reality, family's messy. Because family is one of those places where we have to demonstrate grace. We start looking around at our present responsibilities, and it's scary. I don't want to mess up my marriage. You have kids, you have grandkids, and you're trying to raise them and teach them. And yet sometimes you hear things come out of your mouth, and as they're coming out of your mouth, you're like, where is this coming from? Oh no, I sound like my dad. Uh-oh. And then we look within. You know, you're the greatest sinner that you know. Because you know yourself. You know the secrets of your heart. You know those thoughts that you have that nobody else hears. And at some point, you have to make a decision. Are you going to attach your life to the wagon wheel? And march through life just trying to pull the junk of the past and pull the families and be performance-oriented? Are you going to attach yourself to Christ? Adorn yourself with grace and seek to lead others to Him all of your life. The Christian story begins and ends with grace. The same people who yelled, crucify Him. The same apostle who denied even knowing Him. Two months later, embraced the death and the resurrection. They began living out their Christianity. And they began seeing God do things that only God can do. And they experienced grace in their own lives that led to grace in other people's lives. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so this morning, we break bread together as a church. The bread that we break represents the body of Christ. We drink together, and the juice that we drink represents the blood of Christ. We partake of the Lord's Supper. Jesus told His church to do this in remembrance of Him. And when we take of the Lord's Supper, we remember our Savior who draws us all together. If our deacons would please come and gather here at the tables. There's another table in the back. And here's what we're going to do in just a few moments. I will invite you to pray. After we pray, the musicians will begin leading us through our invitation hymn. And during this time of commitment, I would invite you to go. If you're a believer, I would invite you to go to one of these stations Receive the Lord's Supper from the deacons. Then go back to your seat. And there at your seat, as an individual, perhaps with your family, perhaps with some friends that are sitting around you, have a time of prayer, a time of reflection.
and then partake of the Lord's Supper in remembrance of our Savior. You say, well, Ash, I'm not yet a believer. I've never trusted in Christ as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, during this time when others are partaking of the Lord's Supper, I invite you to place your faith in Christ. To come see me. I'll be here at the front. and I would love to talk with you about what it means to become a believer in Jesus Christ and to trust Him as Savior and Lord. So let's stand together. Let's bow our heads. And then let's remember our Savior. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you and we think about life and we think about the various responsibilities that we have in life. And I pray, Lord, that our stories might begin and end with grace. That the gospel story might be our story. That our lives will be lived with a joyful, humble attitude that praises you. I pray that even as we manage the responsibilities that you've given us here on earth, that we might be able to set our minds on those things which are above and see the world through a spiritual lens. And God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that you don't call us to be perfect. Because in our own ability, we could never do that. But I'm thankful that you call us to trust in the one who is. And Lord, in this room, we're not perfect. Sometimes we let one another down. Sometimes we don't do what we should. But we're connected together by the most powerful force on earth the power of the gospel. And I pray that the same grace that we have received from you, that we will extend to others. And I ask, Lord, that we might have the joy of seeing you do things that only you can do. May we see and experience your awe. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Come and partake of the Lord's Supper.